Welcome to the Hat Soil Health Podcast, a production of Hoosier Ag Today and made possible by the Indiana Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, a program of the Indiana Conservation Partnership. Once a month, we'll spotlight the many efforts around Indiana by CCSI and its many partners to improve soil health on Indiana cropland. Here's the host of the Hat Soil Health Podcast, Eric Pfeiffer. Welcome into the Hat Soil Health Podcast. I'm Eric Pfeiffer, and we're doing this podcast again today from Barry Fisher's front porch. Beautiful view here. And uh, no, I didn't come back to do it. We just did did more in, in, in just one day. I mean, that would have been nice to come back and sit on the porch, but, uh, you know, I do have, do have some other things I have to do too. But we went ahead and knocked two of these out in one day. Uh, but but this one, you know, we're, we're going to talk a little bit different stuff here. We've got some folks with Purdue Extension with us now, and they're working in partnership with some of the soil health organizations and uh, around the state. So first off, I'm going to let you guys introduce yourself. Hans, Hans, uh, you, you've been with uh, Purdue Extension for a while working with CCSI. Give us a little bit of uh, your background. Okay, hello. Uh, I'm Hans Schmitz, and I am CCSI agronomist, also with Purdue Extension. Uh, I've been with Purdue Extension for 13 years, um, working on the county level. I've been in Orange County, I've been in Gibson County, I've been in Posey County, I've served temporary roles in Vanderburg and Martin counties. So I've taken a little tour of County Extension and um, very happy now to be uh, helping support uh, the Extension system on the state side as well as the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative. And thank you for being here, Hans. And, and we got to catch up at the uh, the Farm Machinery Show down there in Louisville not uh, too long ago. So we were we were chatting there about some different things. And uh, I don't think soil health came up that day, but maybe it should have. We, we should have connected on that. Yeah, I think we were talking uh, farm stress farm down stress. there. But yeah, yeah. yeah excellent. A lot of things that you're involved with, and we'll get into some of those here as the podcast goes on. Joe Rorick is here. Joe is a, a soil health podcast veteran. He's been on the show many times now. But remind folks your background and what you're doing. You've you've made a recent change here in what you're doing. You're now with the uh, the Indiana Corn and Soybean Organizations, working in partnership with them, right? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. So um, in about December, I started a new role, still with Purdue Extension. Um, for about five years previous to that, I had served as the the CCSI agronomist, uh, Hans's current role now. Um, so I, I moved roles within Extension in partnership with the Indiana Soybean Alliance and the Indiana Corn Marketing Council, now serving as Extension and, and Corn and Soy's on-farm sustainability programs and research coordinator. So Joe, let's let's start there with, with that. Uh, with the Indiana Corn and Soybean Organizations, obviously, you know, at Hoosier Act today, we do a lot with those organizations. Uh, but from a, a soil health standpoint, having them involved in that, that has to mean good news for soil health across the state, for organizations like CCSI. Having them involved and wanting more information about this, just it has to be a good thing. I, I, I think so as well, yes. I, I think uh, it speaks to, you know, Barry and Stephanie talked about the power of, of the conservation partnership and, and all of the efforts there. And I, I think this is sort of an outgrowth of those efforts in bringing more partners on board. So I'm excited for the opportunity to, to help bring corn and soy on board as well. And what types of things are you doing for corn and soy? What types of things are you offering to... 
that organization, those members in this soil health space? We have a couple of programs uh, that are our main ways around the state that we're doing that. Of course, we they sponsor a lot of research uh, at Purdue and other universities around the state. Um, some focused on soil health, some focused on production and management, other other aspects important to, to corn and soybean growers. But um, we do have a couple of mostly cover crop focused programs around the state. One being in field advantage in partnership with the State Department of Ag and, and the Soil Water Conservation Districts and uh, BECS. And that one is focused around getting cover crop seed to farmers, being able to do some soil health testing, um, doing some cover crop biomass measurements, helping growers to figure out how cover crops can work on their farm while still helping them manage some of that risk as well. What does that practically look like for a farmer? As of October, I'm now 50% shareholder in Dutchman Farms Incorporated, which is the family farm, right? So if I was looking at the Infield Advantage program and thinking about getting signed up, what's my timeline like? And then what do I get or what do I need to do as a result? Sure. We had offered um, nutrient trials as well as tillage trials. Those are closed now, of course, hopefully. Uh, a good portion of nutrients or certainly the nutrient plan is already in place for the year and uh, hopefully if tillage is going to be done that's also done right so so those those trials are now closed for the year um, the cover crop trial is going to be open soon and we'll run registration for that will run till about mid-july I, I believe we decided so um, you would go to I think it's infieldadvantage.org and on there you can you can click through what the trial entails register there you'll you'll sign a form that says um, you know I'm interested in the program the State Department of Ag will get a hold of you and and get some more information from you and get that program running so that would be for getting cover crops sowed this fall basically correct yes so and there's then... some basic cover crop mixes that we've put together that depending on your crop rotation the fields you want to enroll in the program you would get one of those mixes to plant on half of that field where that's a split field program half with half without cover crop so you can kind of see some of the differences so if i'm planting right now my cover crop seed purchases for the fall and i'm planning to hopefully enroll in that program i wouldn't have to worry about you know lining up purchasing at this point in time correct that program takes care of the cover crop seed for that field that you enroll Good to know. Thank you. Now, Joe, I want to kind of go back here. You're, you're both agronomists, so you mentioned that this is kind of a half-field trial. You put it, it's just so you can kind of see the differences. Uh, Hans, I'll, I'll start with you. When people do that, if they do go down this road and they do that, what are some of the differences that they're going to see? I know it's probably obvious to some listening to this podcast because they've been doing cover crops for some time, but maybe for those that are a bit newer to it or just thinking about it, what are some of those differences that they'll see? And you're asking about the differences between that cover cropped parcel and the non-cover yes. crop parcel. Okay. So initially, it's, it's not going to be a vast change, right? Um, what you will see is uh, erosion prevention at the start. Uh, I've got one field that uh, my cousin and uncle took me out to look at that we had farmed the entirety of last year that we now essentially have to split in half because of gully erosion and 
working the thing up in the fall and again in the spring. So you're going to see a reduction in erosive potential because you've got green crop on the field. And then as you get into um, the springtime, assuming it's not a winter-killed cover crop, uh, you're going to have the ability to do some of the soil health tests that uh, I promote as CCSI or have or will be able to come out and perform for you if you would like um, to take a look at your soil structure and compare between that cover cropped piece and that bare soil or weedy depending on your management practice parcel that that's the initial now hopefully it's a great experience for you and you continue to use cover crops and expand the use of cover crops as a result and as you get then uh, more and more years in a good cover crop rotation hopefully you'll start to see that increase in organic matter in some of those that take a long time to build up but that really make your your soils and your farms more resilient and joe that might be the most important piece here is reminding folks to be patient with this it's not going to be overnight right correct yeah uh, the need to be patient and the need to be flexible cannot be uh, overstated, I don't think, because you are making a change on the farm. Um, so with that change comes things that are going to need to change with it. And some of them you might be able to anticipate. Some things may be a surprise. But, uh, you know, Eric, you had asked Hans, what are the, some, what are some of the things you see you see right away i think part of these programs are are some of the things you don't see right but it's the experience you gain as you do it so in planting that cover crop you get experience planting that cover crop you don't you don't see that experience um hopefully you see a nice green living cover <laughs> where you've put that cover crop um but if not, then you can go in back and, and diagnose maybe why why not. Uh, was it did it, get, did it get planted too late? Did it get planted too wet? Did something go wrong? Um, you know, the, it, it gives more learning opportunities um, to gain experience in doing this. And that's that's really what these programs are all about is is helping to manage some of the risk, um, but create opportunities to gain experience and to learn more about using cover crops. Now, being with Purdue Extension, does that make you privy to some of the research that's happening around cover crops and some of that? Can you speak to some of that at this point? Yeah, so some of it I can. Certainly there's there are a lot of researchers looking at cover crops now, um, whether that is incorporating cover crops into systems or, you know, some, some researchers have been using cover crops in their trials for a lot of years. You know, Eileen Kladivko's long-term drainage field down at the Southeast Purdue Ag Center has had cover crops on it for 15, 20 plus years at this point. Um, so we're really learning a lot there long-term about cover crops and soil physical properties on poorly and somewhat poorly drained soils uh, in, in tile drainage systems. Others are looking now more at some of the, the high-end management. So uh, Dan Quinn, our new corn specialist, is looking at cover crops in corn systems and, and 
how to tweak some of those management changes um, to make that system work the best. What cover crops to use. If you're, you know, using cover crops, what other changes need to be made. Um, so Dan's doing a lot of that. Shalimar Armstrong, of course, is doing quite a bit of work with cover crops, both here and uh, also he still has some work in Illinois. So that kind of multi-state partnership thing is is pretty cool, uh, a cool aspect of all that. Um, but yeah, there's, there's quite a bit of research going on both here at Purdue and around the state. There's researchers at the University of Notre Dame we're looking at cover crops. There's researchers at that other school. IU, yeah, <laughs> that, that place in Bloomington. Right, yeah, the other one. Uh, looking at cover crops, of course, um, and lots of other uh, schools around the state and the, and around the country as well. Lots of the other land grants and and ag research service and and USDA folks are doing a lot of cover crop research. And bringing it back to Purdue for just a minute, we do have in the state of Indiana those Purdue Ag Centers that are spread all around the state. And uh, I was looking at an Excel spreadsheet from last year. Every single Purdue Ag Center had some kind of cover crop or soil health um, related practice that they were researching and looking into. So it's all around the state. As the interest in soil health practices grows, Obviously, the research around it is going to grow. I mean, it's, it's just going to be a, a natural transition. Now, I want to switch gears here a little bit. Hans, I understand that you kind of meddle with some ag meteorology as well, and you've been doing some work in this climate space, and we hear all the time about climate smart farming. What does that mean, and, and why is that important? Okay. Um, so... Yes, I do a little bit more than metal in ag meteorology. Uh, my bachelor's and master's are both in agricultural meteorology from Purdue, and I've been involved in um, weather education, climate education, climate change education uh, during my entire tenure at Purdue with Purdue Extension. Um, climate smart farming or climate smart agriculture is basically utilizing those practices that are going to make your farm more resilient to extreme weather events and more adaptable to a changing climate. So I use the term climate change because I'm an agricultural meteorologist. Maybe I should say, you know, uh, climate smart. But all of the soil health practices that one could adopt on their farm also fall under the heading of climate smart agriculture because we've all observed in indiana in particular the spring tends to be a little floodier the late summer early fall tends to be a little droughtier and we the best way for row crop farmers to uh, adjust their practices to make their soils more resilient to increasing floods in the spring, increasing droughts in the fall, is to adopt these soil health practices. So I think it, it, over, it uh, overarches and aligns itself very well in that respect. I think also when you talk climate smart agriculture, you have to, uh, you have to at least mention carbon credits and the fact that that's a thing that's uh, got a private marketplace in today's uh, today's agricultural realm, and I do think that uh, is something that needs a lot more 
research by the individual farmer before you jump into something like that. Nearly every major agricultural corporation has some setup for giving you these credits and they do vary significantly from organization to organization. So um, I do encourage farmers to, to do their homework when they're looking into that. Hans, have you been involved with any of the economists at Purdue looking into to any of those Carson, carbon programs? Yeah, Carson Reeling and Nathan Thompson are our two that that have been kind of tasked to, to figure that one out. And um, the last uh, recommendation that they did give is uh, if you feel comfortable with the program and you're ready to go, by all means, however... The current price structure for these credits may be undervaluing the true carbon uh, dollar amount that should be on the marketplace. So keep in mind that the uh, aggregators of these credits have to make a profit too. And depending on which one you sign up for or what the valuation may be, you may be giving more or less of your individual profit to those intermediaries. I think I've also heard them mention just uh, at least where things are currently at in the in those markets. Um, if you're thinking about adopting cover crops, if you're thinking about taking on more of a soil health management system, do it for all of the other benefits mm -hmm. that come along with those systems, not just for whatever that payment structure might be. Well, I, I, I which, think that it's it's pretty obvious when you look at the dollars and cents of it that, that those carbon credits aren't necessarily just going to pay for all of these soil health practices. It's something that you have to want to do, and I've actually been quite happy with hearing from some of these company representatives when talking about you know, the, the carbon markets, saying, hey, this may not be for you right now. They're not just trying to gobble everyone up into this. I think that's been a bit admirable on their part because it, it doesn't always make sense just from a dollars and cents standpoint. It has to be the whole system, right? Absolutely correct. Um, so depending on the practice, you have uh, the ability to maybe capture uh, a portion of what it would cost to implement the practice. But um, the other thing we've got to figure out with the carbon market system is what about those in the soil health realm that have been providing that practice for 20, 30, or 40 years, and how do they also receive the benefit of the carbon that they've sequestered over the course of, of their farming operations lifetime? It's a huge gap. It's something that needs to be fixed, and I hope that uh, the marketplace can catch up. It'll be interesting to find out. Hans, what else can you tell us about what's happening with CCSI? There are a lot of things going on. I know we're kind of right here in the the midst of, of planting season, but throughout the summer and throughout the fall, there are going to be a lot of different uh, workshops and things going on. What what types of things can you update us on at CCSI? There is so much going on at CCSI. Um, we are allowing, you know, a little bit of a hiatus here to make sure that the farming, farmers get planting and get everything planted. But particularly when we look at the month of August right now, go to the CCSI website, check out our calendar. We are going to be on all corners of the state in the month of August with multiple uh, great educational field days and events. Um, you know, we do 
uh, do events throughout the year, but uh, on this Friday the 13th, um, really encourage you to check out the month of August. <laughs> I was going to say cue the scary music, but he, he just he had it all there ready it to go. It, it, was, it was already there. Uh, Joe, how about you with, with the corn and soy folks? Anything happening there that uh, that we need to touch on other than the infield advantage that we talked about earlier? Sure, infield advantage. Uh, of course, our statewide cover crop focused program running uh, will be opening soon. Um, if you're in the Upper White River watershed, we also have a, an Upper White cover crop program. A little similar to how infield advantage is. Um, you register the field. It's a less uh, information that we collect we get the seed and actually we we uh coordinate with bex hybrids to get that seed to an airport and that seed gets flown on to that field so that's a, a program that takes care of a little bit more um than infield advantage does don't collect quite as much information back from that the farmer doesn't get as much information back from that but we hold winter meetings then to talk about so it, just another entry point for cover crops helping to manage some of that risk, provide some more learning opportunities, build a little bit of community around some of those programs. So as our time wraps up here on the Soil Health Podcast, uh, we talked about you know the carbon markets, and that maybe has just piqued enough interest in folks to maybe start looking at some of these soil health practices, no-till, cover crops. Uh, Joe, I'll start with you advice for someone just looking to get started here with with these soil health practices for anybody just looking to get started with their with some of these soil health practices i think it's it's really important to uh, there's a lot of information out there on the internet of course um both on cover crops and soil health systems there's a lot of great groups and and if it's on the internet it has to be true right correct right okay, so yeah. in addition to that right um reach out to your local soil and water conservation districts your state department of ag your extension, find CCSI, go to one of their events, go to one of Hans's trainings that he'll be running, um, and and get some more of that in the field information in addition to, to just what you can go out there and find on the internet. Hans, how about you? Any advice? I think that uh, point that was brought up earlier today is, is a really good piece of advice. Every agribusiness needs an R&D department, research and development department, and that includes farms. So take one parcel, one piece, one field somewhere that isn't your worst ground, isn't your best ground, but has potential, and try something out. And then uh, if you're not sure where to start, contact your local uh, extension office, SWCD, and RCS personnel, um, but also keep your eye on um, ag news and ag media because w the practice that you may want to start may have a uh, associated monetary benefit with it. And I'm thinking about this little window we had to sign up for five bucks if we had cover crops uh, earlier this year it wasn't a large window and if you weren't paying attention the farm service agency wasn't going to call you and say hey you'd better come submit your acres um, so do your r&d find you a field try something out and then look for opportunities to help offset those costs associated with it Hans, Joe, thank you for joining us on today's podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.
This is the Hat Soil Health Podcast presented by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative. We'll do it again soon. I'm Eric Pfeiffer, Hoosier Ag Today, Indiana's Farm Network.